Thanks for joining me, the Film 3 OG. I'm Jordan Bain, and this is The Next Wave of Cinema. Today's episode is brought to you by Glass. Glass is an ecosystem where creators and communities engage directly with one another, create, share, and monetize decentralized videos. Today we welcome Moises Zamora, creator, executive producer, and co-showrunner of the Netflix global hit series, Selena, as well as the founder of his new Film 3 venture, Video Mart. How are you doing, Moises? Hi, thank you for having me here. I'm excited to talk about all things blockchain, Web 3, Film 3. Um, it's an important space for me because I feel that, uh, and you mentioned that I, I'm I'm a I'm a product of Hollywood. Uh, I created a series on Netflix, and that journey um, really opened my eyes even more because we already, as filmmakers, as writers, as creators, we kind of already knew that some of the models weren't working. We started seeing that distribution windows were collapsing. We started seeing that uh, independent filmmaking was in danger of disappearing, you know, because the financing was not, you know, really there or distribution deals weren't there anymore. Everything was straight to streaming. So um, obviously I'm very grateful about some of the career um, highs, especially creating a show, being present in, um, in the world as a global hit uh, through Selena. But I also started to see, and this was like a year and a half ago, right? I started to see some of the things that were not, um, uh, I wouldn't say generous to creators, filmmakers, writers, because um, it was not sustainable. Um, it, even though Selena, for example, was a global hit, um, I just was really afraid and scared for the longevity of my career. Uh, it wasn't assured. I mean, that's uh, the feeling uh, of a lot of writers. And that's why we're striking against the studios to essentially demand a fair contract that keeps our careers intact in place. Um, hopefully after achieving such a massive undertaking, which is delivering a global hit, that you wouldn't still be scared of having a career afterwards. And so that feeling drove me to Web3, to try to find solutions in a different model and a different technology. And it also brought me to founding my own blockchain VOD, um, VOD3, <laughs> Video Mark. But you know, I I I do come from um, Hollywood. I my first job was a TV writing job at uh, on American Crime, uh, created by John Ridley. My second one was for Lee Daniels on Star. Um, I've written features. Um, Going to direct my first independent film, and so I really, you know, my bread and butter is storytelling. My bread and butter is my calling is telling stories that mean to me. Um, I, I'm an immigrant, I was born in Mexico, and I grew up in Mexico um, with Jalisco, which is a place full of stories for magic realism. And we immigrated when I was 11 years old to California to look for a better life. And I think that we've, you know, I certainly found the opportunities 
that this country gives you. Um, studied uh, at an Ivy League school at Brown University, studied abroad, met a lot of my heroes during that journey, including Pedro Almodovar. So it's it, it was bound for me to be, it was it was sort of in the destiny to be a storyteller. However, um, you know, we're in a place and a time where um, the market, the systems, the status quo is not really working for writers, for creators. And I think there is an opportunity with Web3 to change that. Um, yeah, I want to make sure you. that Colin is there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, first of all, I have to kind of circle back on a couple of things I didn't realize. I didn't realize that you had um, uh, met Almodovar and he just um, co-directed his audio book with one of my best friends um, in Spain. Um, and it just came out and it just came out. And like he she said he was the absolute most generous person that she's ever worked with. Um, what was your story? What's your story there? Oh, my God. It was I mean, I'm sure absolutely he doesn't remember because we were insignificant back then. But I was in college and I already was, you know, writing creatively. I wanted to study cinema, so I took a class in college, um, and it was called The Making of Pedro Almodovar. So basically, a history of Spanish cinema that, that led to what Pedro Almodovar um, became during the 80s and why he was, he was such an important filmmaker during that time. And so I got really you know, excited about him as a director because... Um, not only because he was uh, fearless and, uh, you know, his specific uh, filmmaking deliver a type of queer identity that I was not aware of. And I'm a queer person myself. And so I wanted to sort of feel um, that I was giving permission to do that, those kind of, to tell those kind of stories, to, to, to engage in that kind of cinema. So I, I study. I went to Madrid to study literature. Um, Madrid, my or, second home. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's beautiful there. And um, with the with the helps of meeting Pedro Almodovar, right, or or something like that. And um, after a few months, I kind of forgot about it because, of course, I fell in love with Madrid. I met wonderful people. I fell in love for the first time um, mm. with um, at that time an aspiring actor and. And now he's a famous actor, so I'll I reserve the name, so because I don't have to... <laughs> until after I don't this. want to get him until... in trouble with his boyfriend. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, but you know, we with that with that boyfriend, I, it was um, we had gone to a party. I don't know if it was a Saturday or a Friday, and uh, if you know Madrid nights, like they begin at midnight and they end at eight in the morning. But we it's like four or five in the morning. We were walking back to our apartment. And we stumble upon the set of Alaba by my mother. Um, his filming that famous um, scene outside of the theater. And this is in the late 90s. So I'm dating myself a little bit. <laughs> but, um, and, um, you know, my boyfriend who, you know, I was studying um, in an acting school, he's like immediately rushed to talk to the actresses. Um, Pedro obviously was busy in the middle of work. He said, hello. Uh, two little like gay boys like watching him work um, and that to me just felt such a magical moment just sort of like something that the universe places in front of you saying go ahead um, become a filmmaker become a storyteller here's someone that you admire this is someone that you even studied 
Um, now you're seeing him work. Um, and what became and one of his, I feel like, masterpieces, won an Academy Award for it, um, I believe. <laughs> if not, they should have. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and so that to me was a very special moment. And, um, and uh, I, I always sort of treasure it as a way of like my North Star, right? And I've had a lot of those throughout my life. And that's why I think filmmaking and storytelling is so special for me. And I want to be able to um, have a space um, that does not depend on huge conglomerates and corporations in order to, to put those stories out there that are worth, that are, you know, a chance on the screen. Yes, you are you are leading me right where I want to go with the because we're both part of the queer community. And and I feel like there are a lot of us who have gravitated to Web3 and Film3. And <clears throat> because in my from my experience and, and just meeting so many people in the space is because of that pain point of the gatekeepers and because we couldn't have our, being told that we didn't have an audience for our stories, which we know is a big lie, um, that the audiences are out there for, and and why that, that you know, when people say representation matters, it does matter. Um, I, I talk about this all the time and I don't care if I repeat it in the same way. Every time that um, a young boy or man like you sees a Pedro out there and realizes that that he has a possibility or someone uh, gets to see um, uh, a, a really well-told story about the Muslim culture that is not, is not specifically around being a terrorist, but actually about a loving Muslim home or just some other part of our humanity, they get to see themselves culturally identified. And we who are not part of that culture, we get some insight into the culture and how, and to our shared humanity. So, you know, knowing that, that Web3 and Film3 is full of artists and creators who have had gatekeepers shut them out um, uh, because they've said that our stories don't matter which is just extraordinary because we know that's a lie. And because um, they said we didn't have audiences, but you know, I always say that um, uh, that Ava DuVernay is out there proving them wrong and um, Selena proved them wrong. Um, so I, I suspect that this is a big reason why you you felt when we talk about a sustainable living because that's why I got here that's why I saw this as a revolution because I knew that it's so impossible to have a sustainable living in this business and we can change that and in fact we've built the infrastructure already it's sort of there waiting but tell me about your you know your personal journey and what that has been like um I'm just so curious to go a little bit deeper. Well, you know, um, as a queer person, as a Mexican immigrant, um, I've been growing up in a lot of environments where, uh, whether directly or indirectly, I've been told that I don't belong, right? It's not the mainstream. It's not, you know, the... Uh, the status quo. Um, it's certainly I don't have the privilege that some people do. 
um, in some of these spaces, whether it's industry or even literary spaces. Um, one of the things that I, um, for example, realized in college, and it was, uh, and I love to tell this story because it just feels like, you know, it kind of speaks to my to my personality and my passion uh, for creativity is like, it, it was like senior year. It was at Brown and you, Brown usually has what we, they call the spring weekend. It's like this last weekend of like concerts and um, partying before you go into the finals and end the year. And I think like that weekend, Bob Dylan was playing. So that, that was the kind of level of privilege. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> so um, a little spoiled in that sense. But one of the things like that came to my mind around my friends and like, you know, this is New England, the blossoms, the pink flowers, everything is just gorgeous. I'm intoxicated with my friends. We're in the hill and and I just blurred out like I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to be a writer, you know, um, and it had um, and it had come because I had taken playwriting classes. I'd taken creative writing classes. I've done some research and tried to I attempted a historical novel. I think that after that, what was very clear to me was, oh, but I am gay and I'm Mexican and I don't see a lot of people like me having success in the publishing world. Um, and that was very key for me. Um, and, and, and to my point, like, you know, 20 years later, there's still like a scandal in the publishing industry that there's really, it's not very diverse at all. Um, and so I didn't make a mistake in assuming that, but um, I thought like, well, I have a sixth grade education in Spanish. So I have my Spanish is emotional. It's raw. It's probably not up to par, but I'd rather write in Spanish at a literary level or teach myself how to write at a literary level in Spanish than try to sort of break through what I thought was an impossible wall in America. So... I did that. <laughs> so I moved to Paris to write a great Mexican novel in Spanish. <laughs> um, and to, it was the hardest thing I've ever done uh, because I had to make a lot of mistakes uh, in order to get to a place where like, oh my God, my writing is being validated at literary contests. I think I got second place. I Yes, I got second place in Madrid for a literary contest. And I got first place at another literary con national binational literary contest in Mexico. And so that like, and that was a few years later after graduating from college, I was kind of still in my mid twenties. And so that felt like, holy, I did it. You know, like I was, I have been validated. Like I not only got a literary award for my novel, we were just a coming of age queer story, uh, inspired by the Jean Ginette's Jean Cocteau's of the world and their storylines, but it's like being rewarded from, you know, from my native country, Mexico, who is like culturally uh, machista and homophobic. And so this is fantastic. Um, it was through the Ministry of Culture and they were going to give me a book tour. And by that time I was already living in LA. So I moved to Mexico City and it was amazing. But I also discovered there's no money <laughs> in literary <laughs> publishing. So I was broke. I was living my best bohemian writing life, but I still was struggling. And so I moved back to LA, got a job in advertising and marketing as a way to pay my bills, but, you know, pushed through 
and um, still wrote like a lot of prose and novels, but I but I decided to give screenwriting a, uh, a chance. Took a lot of classes, um, kind of humbled myself in the sense of I'm gonna have a growth mindset. I'm gonna learn the format. I'm gonna take the feedback. I'm gonna um, always try to improve uh, myself and my craft, focus on that. And hopefully that's enough um, to break through. And so what, what ended up happening is I realized, okay, if I'm gonna enter the screenwriting and entertainment, let's do it right. Let's take the classes, let's learn the craft and um, let's try to figure out how Hollywood works. Um, and so it took me a couple of years uh, to get my head straight, start to know, to realize that this is a networking town um, and that uh, uh, you come up with people um, at almost like an, at a generational level, the people that were in your classes are now like also now creating shows with you. And so it was really um, exciting at the time to break through because um, it, um, it only takes a script. Uh, and I want to say it takes more than that, of course, your professionalism and your networking and everything else, the way you present yourself. Um, but uh, foremost is 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 the writing, is the craft. I mean, yes, but yes, yes, yes. But let's be honest, it does take way more. There, there, there are so many talented people on the sidelines. You know, um, a little bit of it, it's opportunity meets preparation, right? And so those other things that you brought up, like your professionalism, um honestly even on the low on the on, on the on the level even with the squad quite frankly if there's something that i'm doing i want i want to be hanging out with the people that i want to like i enjoy hanging out with it's the same yeah. if i'm making a film i mean that is the that you you could be a little less qualified than someone else but if you have a team spirit if you have a great attitude, if you're fun and creative, but maybe you're not as incredible as that other DP, but you're that team player, I'm going to choose team player every single time. So there's so many different elements. And I want to bring this up just because <clears throat> having come up as an, as an actor and of course, you know, I'm a writer as well. Um, you can, there are all the different elements and even still it's a difficult thing. Even still, it is the the that you have got a series on Netflix is incredible. I mean, let's just tell the truth. It is not easy, unless you're Taylor Sheridan, and then you got yeah. Peacock behind you. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but but you're you know you're not wrong about that, and I think what I meant by that's all it takes is a script. It's way. It, you have definitely have to have a level of talent where you can show that you're craft. I mean, that's that's how the door may open. Uh, it may not necessarily that you're allowed to stay in the party. <laughs> so it, true. Uh, you might get invited, but you you might not necessarily um, be able to enjoy the rest of the party. But um, in that in that in uh, what I've learned is especially with Selena and some of the other things that. Um, that I've got in, you know, as far as my achievements and in my career is sort of the, the hustle, 
outside of the box type of mentality because again, um, I'm coming in into a space where there's not a lot like me. So I'm already sort of have the mentality of like, what else can I do in order to break through um, without just, um, you know, sort of uh, depending on that, that on, on my writing, right? Okay. Like is networking, do I look for IP? Uh, do, do I even find financing myself? So it's like, if I have to find everything else that um, I need in order to put a, a movie up or make myself more um, uh, exciting to work with because uh, I found IP, um, that that has been always my, uh, my way of approaching this business is like, what else you got, right? Moises, mm -hmm. you mm -hmm. have a good script. Uh, you're professional, um, you're a good team player, but what else do you have? And I think what Selena, uh, what, that, what that happened with Selena, even though that was a project that was brought to me by my agents, my agents did not bring me that project until I was already had acquired IP um, on my own, did the shopping agreement on my own, made the sort of, that those contracts on my own, like I was already acting as a producer for a different project that was closely related to Selena. Hmm. And they saw, oh, shoot, he's a producer. He's actually getting the IP. He's actually doing all the stuff that basically he's, he's, he's putting together the show on his own. So why don't we team him up with this people? You know, that's when they saw me as a producer. That's when they saw me as a creator. That's when they saw me more than just a writer. Mm. Um, and so I got the, as a result of this other effort that was doing over here, outside of the walks, looking for my own sort of opportunities, building my own, um, you know, career with, with everything that I was hustling with, they then saw me as something else other than a writer. And that's when I got the meeting to pitch and to create the show for some So, um, I've always taking the risk. I've always not relied on already what I have, but like what else is going on? Because as we know, this is a very unpredictable business, especially now than ever. So what what can I do now? What can, what kind of skills and network I have now in order to ensure that I'm gonna have a career as a filmmaker, as a storyteller? And the answer was building your own video on the man platform that is blockchain based. And yes. so we're, we're in the middle of that. <laughs> yes, this is uh, this is exactly where I want to go next. Like, it's kind of like you're a storyteller. You know exactly where the arc is. We're moving into <laughs> this. this we're is now in the second point. half. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> midpoint. We're right at the midpoint. Midpoint. Uh-oh, <laughs> twist. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about video, Mart, because, you know, the squad, you know, we've Gosh, I mean, at this point, we're so we might be getting close to 400 shows by the time this one comes out. So I know it's nuts. Um, and a lot of platforms have come through a lot of platforms I've spotlighted and um, and you were building, you know, I, I found you. I don't even know how I think it was your Astra Lucha. Um, and but you'd been building, as far as I was concerned, Video Martin stealth there for a while. And 
Um, and there's been a lot of platforms, but once I got a chance to talk to you and we were so excited, I remember that first time we both couldn't shut up and we were like bouncing off of the walls and each other's sentences. We were like, yeah, we were like two kids in a sandbox. Like, I don't even, I can't even describe that, but I can see us going back and forth on that Zoom. And he had also, when we met at the Soho house, it's like, hey, um, <laughs> but Video Mart is really when you showed me the mechanics of it, um, I was blown away, and I and I felt like okay, this is this is actually one that's got legs. That is not just an aspiration, but is incredibly practical and really well thought out. So I love to you know talk about sort of the impetus which we've been leading up to, the impetus of creating your own distribution platform and why. Um, and what that does for more than you, because I think that you're like me, when you come from a marginalized community, you're not only thinking about yourself when you're building things. And I feel like when you are building out Video Mart, you've been thinking about a lot of people aside from yourself. Um, 100%. And second, uh, what a definitely just, just speak about the energy and the excitement and passion that our conversations have been in the past, because I think that we both see a huge potential for storytellers in this space. And, um, and it's just a matter of time and patience and putting the work in and just figuring out and adapting when challenges mm -hmm. come our way. And when I, Video Mart was always from the beginning, a part of our, our approach. And you mentioned Astrolucha and Astrolucha is still thriving. Astrolucha was, um, you know, uh, the creation of a league of superheroes um, that um, was an answer to me not seeing enough Latino, queer, like BIPOC superheroes in the Marvel DC universe. So it's like, let's just create it. So basically it's Lucha Libra in space. We hired 16, you know, uh, queer BIPOC artists to create them. Um, also Marvel and DC <laughs> creators, because we know that they don't get great deals. <laughs> and so we thought, okay, NFT collection, but the whole vision for Astrolucha did have um, in its white paper and its um, in its structure, a distribution model uh, for the uh, for the the creations that we were, uh, you know, sort of developing. Because you know, astrological superheroes, video games, NFTs, that in itself is IP, and we all know that you know IP is king in Hollywood. Everything it's like a, a, a derivative, or, or executives and studios are are too scared of original ideas. So they want something to be successful in a different platform or medium in order for that to be adapted. So IP is king. And so we like, we this is the process of creating our own IP. One of the things that we did learn in the Astrolucha universe is that, you know, well, NFTs and crypto had like it's winter and there's a lot of negativity around that. And there's still a lot of sort of um, prohibitive um, aspects of, of Web3 that um, for your normie or for a person that is not as familiar, it's, it becomes like a kind of a hesitation to join, right? So we wanted to, um, if we're going to do a one-stop shop entertainment company, IP creation, production, financing, and then distribution, 
we wanted to make sure that it was also available for mainstream, that it was accessible, because I think we need to build that bridge in order to be successful um, as a movement, as an alternative, and as a really as a valid um, uh, platform that could take on the big ones, right? Um, maybe not substitute them, but certainly be um, a viable mechanism for filmmakers and creators and for users too, because they're kind of sick of like all these subscription models, like are paying for what's not relevant to them and not really having more of a connection with their filmmakers, with their content, with their media. And so Web3 allows that to, to happen, right? Because everything's transparent, you know who, who's buying, you know who's there. And, um, and so VideoMart actually was that you know, part of our white paper of Astralucha, but we changed it because we wanted to reference something that felt familiar, like a video store from the 90s, where you had a little bit more of a community where you kind of were looking forward to those releases, where you, it didn't matter if you had a niche taste, you know, there was always an audience for it. And, um, and we also wanted to have a distribution platform that made sense. Um, that is not your transactional VOD, which is iTunes, Amazon. That is not a subscription-based uh, model, SVOD, which is Netflix. Uh, and that is not AVOD, advertising VOD, which is your Plutos, your Tubis, um, and even Netflix to some point, because they're actually incorporating um, commercials uh, mm. into uh, their basic plan. So those models did not, there aren't seem to be working as much. And there's kind of squandering um, the fan base, the titles. A lot of people, especially with smaller films, they put their films on Netflix and it's basically this false illusion. It's like, well, I'm in Netflix in 190 countries and in front of 300 million users. But the truth is, there's no marketing. They can't. People can't find their titles. It's basically, if you want your film to die, take it to the Netflix cemetery. <laughs> um, and I know it's harsh, but I mean, the reality is, um, and this is for me speaking to a lot of filmmakers. For me myself, trying to figure out how to put my film in a platform, it's like a lot of these uh, licensing agreements are like eight to ten thousand dollars, and your your film costs a million bucks, you know, and that's on the low end. So that's not sustainable. That's not gonna, you know, and then worst case scenario, like, okay, so I got it on Netflix. Now I have to compete with the Nikes app of the world, which costs $450 million. And obviously Netflix like promotes because every A-list actor is in it and they spent a pretty penny on it. Uh, so how are you gonna compete with those? How are you gonna be top 10 and like be expected for the world to watch your film, you know, billions and, you know, be measured by billions of minutes watched. Like that's also impossible. Those metrics are impossible. I don't think, and this is something that I learned in the Web3 NFT space. I don't think that every title deserves to compete like that against each other. Every title has an audience and there's plenty of people in the world to have enough people to love your title to set you up for success as a creator. And Amen. so it's just about finding that community, right? It's just about like, okay, so I like queer coming of age, Latino stories from Argentina. 
I'm sure there's more than <laughs> 10,000 people, maybe 100,000 people that would buy that film. And that's all it should be measured against, its own community, its own potential. And so with VideoMart, we took that model, which is essentially the, the NFT model, and the films will be having limited editions according to, to that community, that potential. We're going to measure those films against that, not other films, because it's about the audience and the community and the fan base that they can garner um, uh, through his storytelling, through his filmmakers, through, through his themes. And with VideoMart, as opposed to other um, uh, Web3 uh, video-on-demand platforms, and we are actually um, going to give the opportunity to users to buy the digital mo the movie. In this case, is you know we're going to call it a digital video ticket, uh, which is essentially the blockchain aspect, right? The NFT aspect, and um, they'll also be be able to just like any NFT, sell it later. Um, Ten percent will go will be split between the platform and the filmmaker. Um, you can make a bid if it's sold out. Um, you can gift it uh, if you want it to another user. And uh, essentially it's a, a marketplace. It's a video on demand. It's a Web3 video on demand marketplace. So what does that do? Well, it gives users the ability to curate their entertainment, add on extras to that title if they want to. But also it makes them your partners in the success of the story and the success of the movie. You know, um, word of mouth gets monetized, obviously, uh, through affiliate marketing, which was, um, we found this incredible partner, it's called Chain Starters, who basically already had the software and the infrastructure to create an open sea of video and, and TV. So uh, we partnered with them and they're um, part of VideoMart um, through Equity. And so they are providing the platform. And then on top of that, we had to figure out a solution to build a bridge with the Web2 people, right? Um, because crypto wallets are very prohibitive. Coinbase, MetaMask are really difficult, sometimes very complex. Even mm -hmm. my smartest peeps are like, yo, <laughs> my money disappeared on MetaMask. Where are my <laughs> NFTs? So we wanted to make sure that... <laughs> That was an easy, frictionless process for our consumers. Um, we found that very prohibitive in the NFT space. So we partnered with another uh, software company and they have a digital wallet called MetaKeep, which basically gets created by signing with an email address. Um, so sign up with Google, boom, it gets created in microseconds. Um, and you have a digital wallet. So for, for the Web2 people, they will enjoy the benefits of Web3 without knowing they're in Web3. And for the Web3 people, they're like, holy fuck, this is so easy. And I know how this works and I'm down, right? So um, that's Super. why you're marketing. It's very important. It's kind of like, I mean, it's been months since Starbucks made their announcement, but, you know, basically, Starbucks is using a digital collectible uh, behind the scene NFTs, but no one knows. None of their base, their subscription base of that, what they're doing, do they don't know that they are actually 
NFTs, which I think is ultimately, I mean, what you're talking about is something that that we've known for a long time, right? That this needs to be more frictionless. You don't want to make something harder. If you're trying to onboard people to the future uh, and a better future for filmmakers and in the industry and creators, you want to make that process easier and less frictionless than, and that's been an issue for the, you know, I mean, as long as I've been doing this, uh, which is a few years now. So I'm super happy to hear this because you're right. Um, that's ultimately, I think, where we all want to go. We want this to be like when you swipe your your visa at the grocery store and you have no idea how that back end works. But it's important. The blockchain is what, what makes the difference. Um, you know, having that immutable uh, ledger, basically. Um, makes the difference. Yeah, and I think that um, the people that are sold on the Web3 and the powers of blockchain and the tracking of digital ownership, it's important in, in, in today's age. We're not, we're not walking away. We're not going back to DVDs, guys. Like it's not, we're not, it's, we're living a digital age. We need to sort of embrace it and we need to figure out ways on how to um, really redevelop that relationship um, with our digital content. And I think NFTs does a great job with, of course, like you said, the exception of some of these technology obstacles and uh, that are in place that sometimes it dissuades people because if it's more than three clicks, we're so used to automation. If it's more than three clicks or a lot of information or things that you don't understand, you're just like, ah, whatever. I'll just go back to, I'll, I'd rather complain about Netflix and try something new that feels like so hard to, you know, to understand. And so we wanted to get rid of that. That was my number one goal in the past few months was like, we got the model, we got the distribution strategy, but what about the customer acquisition? What about the customer experience? How are they gonna embrace a new technology, a new model that doesn't really exist? It sounds really great because you'll have the ability to collect, they'll have the ability to have access to the filmmakers, they may even have the ability to make a good chunk of money <laughs> if yeah. there's a hot title out there that people want and it becomes that FOMO or scarcity feeling um, because, you know, it's an exclusive for VideoMart, which you want to eventually get to that place. But like, you know, but if it's not frictionless, if it's not what you said, a couple of clicks where you almost don't feel the technology at work, um, for users, especially mainstream, that like you need to explain how technology works, like you already lost them. You just you just want them to sort of sign up and be able to enjoy and entertain themselves through the benefits, to gamify the experience, to have a different connection with their with their films, with their movies. And so that's what we want to focus on. We just needed to make sure that technology was in place before we took the jump and launched uh, our platform. I cannot wait. I know your platform is, is launching uh, very soon compared to how long you've been building. Um, but I also want to, you know, listen, this is an incredibly prescient moment. We both know this as members of the guilds um, and, um, you know, doing what we what we can to to I, I don't like using this word onboard, but basically for me it's been educating. It's been a it's been a it's been a two and a half years of trying to educate and 
and you know, two and a half years ago was so, so, so early. There was nothing really to educate people on other than I know that this is revolutionary. I know it's going to change our lives. I know that creators are going to get the majority of the revenue of the of their creations based on this, you know, non-fungible token, NFT technology, whatever, you know, and all of the different layers that we've been trying to educate people on, like secondary markets and, you know, creator royalties and things like this. But now we're two and a half years later. And, you know, what was not being built really in February 2021, uh, I dreamed of there being a dis distribution platforms, Web3 native distribution platforms. And now you guys have emerged and, and the mechanics are there for us to be able to point our brothers and sisters and and non-binary siblings in the in the guilds and say look guys there actually is something here what you are craving we have the answer we have the answer here utilizing web3 in the film3 in ecosystem that has been built out with self-sovereignty owning your own ip creator-led communities and to your point earlier you don't need to have sales and get millions you just need that 1000 100000 whatever your tribe or community is to say yes your story is a story i want to see your story is one that so let's talk to our our uh guild siblings um, because the WGA and the SAG after strike is a it's a very prescient moment. It's a very powerful moment. This has not happened since 1960 when there was a dual strike. And the, you know, for me as a as an actor, when I started, I made a really good salary for a guest spot. I made a great salary as a series regular. And then suddenly all of that was pulled out from under us and we had no place no guest spots because there was no place for us to grow our our careers and then subscription models came around and suddenly there's no royalties and et cetera, et cetera. so let's talk a little bit about why this is such a powerful moment and why what we're building out here really does answer the the call for um a new path a new way i mean i think that um if anything, the climate right now and the double strike, it speaks to how the streaming models have broken the system of, um, has broken the idea that we deserve a sustainable <laughs> way of making a living. Um, and you're not wrong. You're like, look, my first two TV shows were on broadcast and broadcast has the best deals, right? Like they pay for scripts the highest, they give you residuals, they give that, that, that old system um, really felt like, oh, wow, this is wonderful. Um, I'm still getting some residuals from some of the scripts that I, uh, that I wrote ages ago for broadcast. I right? get, I get residuals from my law and order. I, I mean, they're 60 uh, oh, cents, but they're coming. Especially law and order, right? Like <laughs> yes. those like are evergreen. You always want to watch one of those. <laughs> um, where you don't want to invest in a whole season. But, you know, so that to me, it speaks to like, okay, that system was achieved because of the strikes before us, right? Mm -hmm. Procedurals, royalties, all of that. 
now we're in a place where this streaming, um, there's no residuals. <laughs> there's no like compensation for success. You know, again, Selena was a global hit, 25 million households the first four weeks. I, that didn't really materialize into any kind of money. Uh, sure, that I get that I signed a contract and now I'm complaining. It's not that. It's just that the whole system was built um, not to um, to to uh, monetize your success, right? Or even like live off of those little residuals that you you could live off of if you, if if people are still watching your show on a streaming platform. Because that's important because we're contract people, right? We go from project to project. And so we need to make sure that in between projects, we can still be able to come back to our work. Uh, it still sort of, you know, kind of catches us on, on in, the, in the low end of, the, of our job. And so that that's all about street, you know, pay minimums increasing because the cost of living is going higher and higher. We're making less money residual streaming, we have a lot of things that we're fighting for right now. But you know what? The pain has been going on for a while, right? Yeah. That's why I was like, okay, um, Netflix and ABC and the streaming models don't seem to be changing. These are big giants that just don't change overnight unless this, you know, huge global, um, you know, Things happen, disruptive movements happen, which are we're feeling them right now, the strikes. But prior to that, I was like, holy crap, I may not be able to be a screenwriter. I may not be able to find an opportunity to continue, you know, you know, living off my craft. So to me, and this is the crazy part, it was easier. Just like it was easier for me to touch, you know, to teach myself how to, you know, uh, how to write in Spanish at a literary level with a sixth grade education. To me, it's easier to embrace a technology like blockchain and do the work to actually launch a video on demand platform as a startup to do the fundraising, to do deal with the tech, to do the acquisition of titles to do the marketing and public relations, to, to essentially become as CEO, a potentially, you know, uh, disruptive uh, marketplace, then actually get another, another another show on any of these streaming platforms. Like that to me feels easier. And it is easier, honestly, like, because I've seen the fruits of that labor. Uh, we're, quite, we're uploading our first 400 titles onto the platform um, in the next couple of months. We're teaming up with film festivals because there are spaces where they know the filmmakers' pain, desire, hard work, and we want to be able to alleviate that. Video Mark is partnering with film festivals. We're starting with the Guadalajara Film Festival. We're in conversations with Alphys. Um, uh, we're in conversations with the Chelsea Film Festival in New York. So we can provide a distribution platform from these creators that. Um, that it's not available for them right now. And um and that's 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 our that's our objective. And um the WGA and SAG after strikes speak to the pain points that we want to address. Um I am obviously uh, a writer foremost, like from you know, I'm a WGA member. I love my pension, I love what, what my guild does. I'm fighting for for that, and I, I hope we get to a fair contract. But I also think that uh, as an entrepreneur, as a producer, as a hustler, 
um, that I also had to find even more options and alternatives to make sure that we as creators, as writers, as actors survive um, mm -hmm. and, and the next iteration of entertainment. Um, and I think we're at a crossroads. And on one hand, it's terrible that we have to do this. But on the other, it's empowering and it feels like a watershed moment. It feels like um, historical because it is. But I think, I think, I don't know if the universe or some sort of whoever believes in astrology, I'm sure there's some planet aligning, some stars aligning that is creating this moment. And I'm here to garner it. I'm here to take it on. Um, finding community through, through you, Jordan, and other individuals that believe in this kind of vision and just doing it together. Because one of the things that I love about the Web3 space is the importance of community. I've never done anything that is worth doing without a lot of people around me to support my endeavors. And, and that to me, I feel is missing from the conglomerates. It's like the idea that like, we're in this together, we're your partners in the storytelling process. How dare you wish we lose our homes? How dare you you know, wish that is a necessary evil for us to not be able to pay for our rent, you know, and you know, essentially be afraid of homelessness. Like, how dare, we're your partners, we're in it together, what happened? You know, um, and again, corporate greed, uh, disparity, and we're here to prove them not only through our strikes, but through our ingenuity. And the technology is there to support a disruptive, uh, platform at disruptive models. I had so much to say to you just in this moment because we align a lot. But for me, that was a mic drop. Um, and I don't want to take any power away from that. I'm excited to introduce you to a wider audience through through this podcast. And I'm also excited to, you know, have you back. Um, because I think uh, once Video Mart launches and we see where we are, where we stand with our guilds striking in the future, um, this is going to be a great, uh, this is a good intro into a part two of the Moises and Jordan series. Wow.